everybody, this is Rudy Sarzo, and you listen to Diary of the Mad Man podcast right here. Come back and listen to it some more. Hello and welcome back to Diary of the Madman, the ultimate Ozzy Osbourne podcast where we discuss all things Ozzy and Ozzy related. I am Josh Crum and as always with us is Dan Drago. How's it going, Dan? Doing amazing. How you doing, Josh? Doing good, man. You know, you and I are buzzing. We just got off the phone with today's guest, Mr. Rudy Sarzo. And man, what an epic, epic interview that was. I can't wait for the listeners to hear it. Yeah, that was an amazing, amazing interview Rudy is a gentleman. What a great guy, filled with great stories. The listeners are going to just eat this up. Absolutely. He comes on, and the first thing he asks us, he said, how, how long do you guys usually like to go? And we're like, well, it's up to you. He's like, well, it's whatever you think. And we're like, yeah, 45 minutes. And next thing I know, I look at the clock, and we've been on the phone with him for over an hour and a half almost. So it it's was like, like an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> so it was like, yeah. oh, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. But now he was absolutely excellent i can't wait to get the feedback from the listeners on what they think about this one yeah and i'm super excited he's back in quiet riot can't wait to get out there and support rudy for sure for sure and as he you know tells us in the interview at frankie benelli's wishes for him to join to rejoin the group so i thought that was really cool totally excited for it man he's such a great guy and then you know it's it's, it's where he needs to be at this point in his life it's, it's quiet riots part of his soul the same as it is you know randy and kevin dubrow and frankie benelli's also yeah no question and also, please don't forget his amazing autobiography, Off the Rails. It is a fantastic read. Josh and I bought it right when it first came out. I actually think I bought it before it even had a publisher. I might have bought it directly from Rudy when it originally first came out. Please pick it up. It's it's one of my favorite, if not my favorite, Aussie book. It has great behind-the-scenes stories that we even get to on the interview. But please support Rudy. Quiet Riot and Off the Rails. Yeah, I think I have those early pressings also. I got it right when it came out, and I want to say it was 2006. And uh, I'm looking at my copy right now, and it doesn't have a publisher on it. So yes. it's an amazing read. If you're a Randy Rhodes fan especially, or even just an Aussie fan in general, he does like day by day. He kept diaries, and he wrote this book for, through those diaries. And it's absolutely stellar. It's my, a matter of fact, it's my favorite of any of them. If you take Aussie's yeah. book or Tony or Zach, oh, any yeah, of them. Way better. This one's my favorite uh, yeah. one of all of them. And I don't just say that because he's our guest tonight. Like It's an amazing, amazing read. If you've not checked it out, definitely purchase that one. It's amazing in how honest he is. And I really, really respect and admire that from Rudy. Yeah, Rudy finds a way to be honest without being an asshole. Yeah, like it's, it's, great he's point. really great about telling the truth, but without offending everybody. It's, it's a, a great characteristic of his. Can't wait to get feedback from the listeners on the interview. So before we get to the interview, as promised, Josh and I have worked up our top 10 albums of the year for 2021. Again, it can't be a reissue or, of course, Ozzy's 40th anniversary of Diary of Madman would top both of our lists. And it cannot be a best of, a live album. It's got to be a true studio record that was released in 2021. I'm really excited to hear Josh's, but I really want the listeners to kind of see how the roads lead to Ozzy. Because me and Josh actually... Even though we have a lot of similar tastes, we have a lot of different tastes as well. And you're going to see that within that list. So, Josh, why don't you start us off? What is your number 10 album of the year? 
at least he assumes they're different. He hasn't seen my list. It no, I have not, but I can just, so. I, I, I bet you half of my list, Josh is going to say, who the hell is that? <laughs> Guaranteed. <laughs> Number 10 for me is light the torch with you will be the death of me. I'm a big fan of Howard Jones. Continue to be a fan in his latest project with Light the Torch. My number 10 is Evergrey, Escape of the Phoenix. I am a huge fan of Tom Englund. I think he's got one of the coolest voices in modern heavy metal. Still one of the best progressive power metal bands out there. Number nine for me is The Return of Raw, Intercorrupted. And uh, definitely enjoyed this one. And it's good to see them make a return after about a 10-year hiatus. My number nine is a band called tribulation and the album is called where the gloom becomes sound and tribulation is a great dark gothic black metal band they have a lot of melody in their music fantastic listen number eight for me is servant of the mind by volbeat big volbeat fan a lot of groove in their music i continue to enjoy all of their releases man they're the gift that keeps on giving for me my number eight is halloween halloween i was super excited about this I'm a huge fan of the band, probably the best power metal band of all time. You know, it had the return of Kai Hansen and their singer Michael Kiske. And I was super excited they were back in the band. This album did not disappoint. It was everything I wanted and then some. And this ranks at number eight. Great, great record. Number seven for me is KK's Priest with Sermons of the Sinner. Really proud of KK for this one. I think they absolutely did a stellar job of putting out a Judas Priest style metal record in 2021 with Ripper Owens on vocals. Some of the critique is that the lyrics are shitty and cheesy. I love shitty, cheesy lyrics. So it's right up my alley. KK's Priest, Sermons of the Sinner. My number seven really hit me out of nowhere. I was not familiar with this band until this year, but it is Bewitcher, Cursed by Thy Kingdom. It is a fantastic black speed metal record with a ton of melody and more importantly, wonderful, wonderful guitar playing. This band came out of nowhere for me, and I am in love with this record. Bewitcher, Cursed by Thy Kingdom. Number six for me is Beartooth with Below. I had seen Beartooth a few times live at festivals, never really paid them a lot of attention. This album kept getting a lot of press, a lot of word of mouth, so I checked it out, and I became a fan. Now I'm diving back into their older material. Below by Beartooth, number six. My number six is actually Iron Maiden's Senjutsu. You know, when it first came out, I was kind of on the fence about it. This is a great record, and it continues to get better with more listens. And I like records like that, some that make you really have to dive in. And definitely all uh, modern Iron Maiden does that. But Sinjitsu, I think it's a fantastic record. Their best since Brave New World. Number five for me was the solo album from Jerry Contrell called Brighton. Big fan of that one. It definitely has the Alice in Chains feel, but it sounds and feels like a solo record also. It's kind of different at the same time. I love it. My number five is one of my favorite modern bands. It is Mastodon and Hushed and Grim. It is a, another listen that at first I didn't think it was as good as the previous few, but it really grew on me in a very, very positive way. It also has my favorite song of the year in a song called Gigantium. It ends the record, and it might be my favorite Mastodon song. It is fucking fantastic. Okay, it brings me to number four. And for this one, I'm going with Wolfie Van Halen and his Mammoth WVH self-titled release. It is fucking stellar. If you are one of those people that hate on Wolfie just because he's Eddie's kid, clean out your ears and listen to the fucking album. It's really damn good. All the way front to back. Solid record. My number four is a band called Unto Others, and the album is called Strength. I fell in love with these guys when they were called Idle Hands, but they had to change their name last year. And this is their first release under this title, even though it's the same band. 
and it does not disappoint. I saw them open up for King Diamond last year, two years ago now, and I was a fan instantly. I left and bought all their shit right after the show. And this record is a perfect gothic blend of 1980s rock with modern gothic metal. Awesome. Unto Others is actually on my honorable mention list, and they hey. were almost number 10. That probably shocks you, doesn't it? It does shock me. I can't, I'm yeah. shocked you even know who they are. I had a friend about a month ago reach out to me and said, asked me if I'd heard of them, and I said no. And he sent me a few tracks, and I started digging in and really enjoy it. So, yeah, Dude. I was almost there. Almost. Oh, come almost. on. It's my I, number I, four. It's I, amazing. I, I chose Howard Jones over. Yeah. All right, number three for me, and I'm going to totally butcher this album title, but it is, I'm just going to say The New Chevelle. I think it's Niratius. I don't know. N-I-R-A-T-I-A-S, whatever the fuck that word is. What a stellar record. I've always loved Chevelle in a weird way in my band before we had our current singer, which he's been with us forever now. With our old singer, I thought we sounded very similar to Chevelle. They were kind of what we, I don't want to say we modeled after them, but that's where we thought we fit. And I've always liked those guys, but they kind of have faded off. They really have faded off a lot, to be honest. This new album totally struck me. Really, really good. A lot of groove in it. My number three is one of my all-time favorite bands released a new record this year, and that's Moonspell, and the record is called Hermitage. I fucking love this band. I see them live every time they come through Phoenix. I have their whole catalog. I buy them on CD, vinyl. Obsessed with this band from their great black metal beginnings to their gothic periods to the perfect hybrid of what they do today. This is a little bit of a mellower record, which I really enjoyed, but fantastic release. All right. Number two for me, and this may shock people that it's not number one, is Doom Crew Inc. from Black Label Society. We spoke a lot about that two episodes ago. You know my feeling towards that one, so that's all i got to say about it. Doom Crew Inc. number two in 2021 for me. My number two, and I thought I was going to get shit for this, is Black Label Society Doom Crew Inc. This is going to be the only match we have, but it's kind of <laughs> kind of cool that we both have it at number two. It's a great record. We we went over it in detail. So great job, Zach. All right, and number one for me is Mr. Dan Drago's "The Dream Is Over." Dan, oh, I couldn't man. let it pass. That, I couldn't let it pass that you released an album in 2021, a solo album that I know you worked your ass off on and that I know means a lot to you. And it's an excellent record listeners. If you haven't yet go to your listening machine, be it Apple or Spotify and check out Dan Drago, D R A G O. The dream is over. You won't be disappointed. Very, very solid stuff. Dan. Good job. Dude. I can't believe that. That was, that's a nice swerve. I did not know that was coming. Thank you for that. That's You're awesome. Welcome. My number one is a band called bloody hammers and the record is called songs of unspeakable terror. This record blew me away when it came out in January, so it's earlier in the year, but it has stuck with me the whole year. There's not been a record I've listened to front to back all the way through, and this is a perfect blend of Sabbath, a little white zombie, a lot of misfits. The melodies that Anders Manga writes are so memorable. This has been not only their best record, but my favorite record of the year. Absolutely amazing. I got to be honest, man. I only knew like two bands in your fucking list. <laughs> no, <laughs> That's perfect. I didn't know many of those at all. Yeah, so. I didn't think you would. That's awesome. And thanks again, Josh, for doing that and saying that. I I can't tell you what that means to me. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, man, it's a solid record, and I want to give it another chance for the listeners to go back out there and dive into it. For those who may be new to the, to the show and aren't familiar with it, that you do indeed have an album that just came out this year. You know, we both, as we talked about with Rudy, we both write and record music and, and have bands, but... There's something about a solo record that's just so personal. It'd be fun for everyone to go check it out and get their feedback on what they think about it. But otherwise, man, happy 
2021 to everybody and welcome 2022 and i'm excited to see what 2022 brings to us because it should be a new aussie album that's fucking badass yeah i was gonna say two things real quick one the theme song that we play for the show is a song of mine called forever that is on my solo record so if you like the theme intro music that's right there on my solo record and number two is we both know it's going to be number one on our list next year absolutely (laughs) all right dan before we get on to rudy do you have anything else No, just Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to everybody. Thank you all for your support. I don't want to speak for Josh, but I know I can speak for Josh when I say this has gotten bigger and badder than either of us ever suggested from just saying, hey, let's record our podcasts, the conversations we have on a daily basis. We think it'd be awesome to the success and the loyal listeners we have. I never dreamed of it ever being this big. So I mean, thank you. We just got off the phone with Rudy fucking Sarzo. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Not only a phone, but a video conference where we could see each other and speak and make gestures at each other. I mean, fucking Rudy Sarzo. What the fuck? I mean, that's the coolest shit ever, man. And that, like that alone makes it worth it, let alone the feedback from the listeners. You know, reach out to Rudy and let him know you appreciate him coming on our show and that you enjoy yeah. it all. So that would, that would be great. Yeah, definitely let Rudy know you so. heard his interview on our show. Great point. Yeah. All right, guys. Enjoy the rest of the show with Rudy Sarzo. We'll see you next year. Hello, everybody. And Dan and I are excited to welcome to the show a man who needs no introduction, basis extraordinaire, Mr. Rudy Sarzo. How's it going, Rudy? Uh, I'm blessed beyond words. How's it going with you guys? Doing good, man. We definitely can't complain. How about you, Dan? Doing great. You know, getting ready for the holidays. It's uh, Christmas is a week away, so just getting ready for the holidays. Are you doing anything special for the holidays, Rudy? Uh, wow. You know, every day is Christmas in my story. So <laughs> it's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you know, I, because it's Christmas Day and, you know, there's certain expectations and celebration and traditions mostly. Uh, so, yeah, you know. We're going to be doing the family stuff and enjoying it, but every day is Christmas for me. It really is. Yeah. It's a great attitude. For yeah. sure. Yeah, and you, you know, you've lived a blessed life. You've lived the dream that we all dream mm-hmm. about, so it's definitely something yeah. to be thankful for. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it just gets better every day, so, you know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, you definitely have been in the news lately with uh, yeah. your reemergence with Quiet Riot, man. So, you know, everyone's excited to see you back in the group. How did that come about? Well, it was uh, Frankie's request that I return to Quiet Riot. And, uh, you know, Frankie, and next year is going to be 50 years that I met Frankie 50 wow. years ago next year on my birthday, November 18, in 1972. Wow. So we have a long history. I mean, we had a history playing together for 10 years prior, almost to the day that I went in to record the tracks that wound up on the Metal Health record, which is basically, except for two songs, the song, uh, The One I Let You Go, and Mental Health, I play on, on the whole album. While I was still a member of Ozzy, uh, within a week from each other, I recorded about half of my contribution to Mental Health. And then I left and I went to New York to record uh, Speak of the Devil, that same time period. Wow. Yeah. yeah. What an amazing t- point of your life. I mean, you had so much going on. And at the time, didn't even realize what a mark you were making on music history with both of those albums. Yep. Two all time classics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I still, I mean, of course, I, I listen to a lot of mental health record because, uh, you know, I, I've only done two shows uh, this year with Quiet Riot, and they're like one month in between. And then I'm getting ready to do New Year's Eve in Las Vegas. And then there's going to be 
another one month in between, and then we pick it up, God willing, in February, and we go on, on a regular schedule of just about every weekend we go out. But uh, but of course, so I get to listen to the, the whole record a lot because you know I, I I play along with it just to not not just to remind me of what I play, but actually how can I play it today, forty years later? You know, I'm a, I'm a different musician. You know, I'm uh, music is different. Music has evolved, and then there's some certain aspects of classic rock or or '80s metal that people want to hear being performed, you know, a certain way, you know, the way that they remember. But then there is a, there's a certain aspect that we as musicians, we owe it to ourselves first, and we owe it to our crowd, you know, the fan, the fan base that shows up to uh, take it to the next level, the next level that we happen to be in. Yeah, absolutely. Has there ever been any thought, you essentially are playing mental health in its entirety anyway, has there ever been a thought of promoting that? And playing it in its entirety from track one through the end, or yeah, I going think in that's, that order. Yeah, this year we're going to be celebrating the recording of the album Metal Health. But the following year in uh, 2023, we're going out promoting the uh, 40 years of Metal Health. Wow, amazing! Yeah. Be great. You do, do you think you guys will play it front to back? Because right now you are playing the whole album, but it's kind of like definitely sprinkled throughout the set. But you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's an interesting thought. I guess if you're going to present it as performing it front to back, it, it is not sequenced properly for front to back, even though we probably wind up doing that. And we do kind of like an arrangement of like, you know, like, for example, we, we do, we have been doing this for over, for over 20 years now, starting with the, the riff to mental health. That's how mm -hmm. the, uh, the set begins. And started like we started doing that way back, kind of like a teaser, you know. But then we go into the first song of the set, and then at the end we do mental health. It's kind of like what they call an overture, except the overture is bits and pieces of all the music in a classical performance, you know. But uh, yeah, I did something like that. Uh, it was a Holy Diver celebration, either twenty or twenty twenty fifth anniversary. It was recorded in two thousand. And and five, so I I think it was the twentieth anniversary. But anyways, it was an anniversary, and with Dio, we did play Holy Diver from front to back. I Six have it. Yeah. Yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so we did do that, and uh, it was interesting because before we went into it, we actually played a lot of uh, Rainbow. We opened up with Tarot Woman from Rainbow. And then some, I believe we did some, uh, some Black Sabbath, maybe, maybe not, but we definitely, then after we did the last song of the record, uh, Holy Diver, we finished it off with more material. Yeah. Well, you know, Metallica recently did the Black Album in its entirety. And what they did, which would be a decent idea for you guys, is they played it backwards. So you would begin with Thunderbird and then work your way back to Metal Health to end yeah. the show with Metal Health, yeah. which is another idea. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. yeah. Well, we're not much into backward stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, the one thing, and I've been re revisiting Metal Health a lot lately, is how deep of a record is. Songs like Run for Cover Absolutely. and yeah. Breathless. I mean, yeah. it, is, it is a fantastic record outside of the huge mega hits that you guys had on yeah. it. Did you know when you were recording those tracks that like every song was just I just can't get over how well it's yeah, composed. That's, that's an interesting thought because most of that record was written with the exception of, let's say, 
Don't Wanna Let You Go, and Metal Health. Those were songs that Carlos Cavazzo brought in from his band Snow. He wrote that. Oh, and as a matter of fact, Metal Health, and uh, the song Metal Health, his brother Tony, who was also the bass player in Snow, brought that song in. I mean, that he gets a Metal Health. It used to be called No More Booze. Wow. That was it. When it was Snow. No More Booze. Yeah. No More Booze. And I'll give you an Aussie story here. When Kevin and I, uh, actually, when uh, I used to live with Kevin, right? Right before I joined Ozzy. So we were really tight. I was in, uh, I played with him in Dubrow, right? So I get the, uh, the audition. I, I leave LA and I go on the road with Randy, you know, in Ozzy. And we will have all these incredible experiences. You know, it's like the, we were right in the middle. I mean, well, actually, we were part of the new wave for British metal, mm -hmm. even though I did not consider it because I'm not, I'm not British. <laughs> and I just I just jumped right into it. Those two records were recorded before Tommy and I joined the band. So it was like, okay, I'm jumping on this ship that's already set sail. <laughs> you know, I climb on, on a dinghy or a tugboat in the middle of the ocean and, and I'm I'm on this boat, right? Almost like on a from a life raft to join with this big cruiser named Ozzy, you know. With all this, uh, with all this new music and everything, the, and we were part of the British new wave of metal. And we have bands like Motorhead, and we have bands like Def Leppard, definitely part of it. And we opened yeah. up for Saxon in 1980. It was still 81. We wow. opened up for Saxon. It was uh, the Diary of the Madman release in Europe. So it was the our version of the Diary of the Madman tour, uh, but the European UK leg of that. Okay. So, you know, we, we were like experiencing all this stuff. Meanwhile, in LA, nothing was happening. Because to be honest with you, it did not start happening until mental health hit it big. Yeah, wow. Absolutely. It did not happen. Still at that time, what was going on in LA is as far as the record industry goes, they were signing and, and focusing on new wave and punk, right? So Kevin was struggling, you know, trying to get you know, banging his head against the wall, you know, trying to get the uh, record companies to uh, to pay attention to what Dubrow was doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So a lot of the song, including Hits on the Bird, that wound up on the Metal Health record, were written during that Dubrow period. You know, Randy leaves in 1979, so you got 80, 81. Mm -hmm. And then Metal Health gets recorded in 82. So... There was, uh, there was a lot of time and material that Kevin wrote during that period. And I actually got to play those songs with him when I was also pl playing with him and living with him in his apartment. And, uh, and I played with him in Dubrow. So, uh, you know, a lot of that music was written then, right? I mean, whether it was that we knew it was going to be amazing or not, uh, you know, like, <laughs> you know, it, yeah. it was just... You know, it, it was music, <laughs> and it was good, and it was fun to play. That, that's all I knew. Come and Feel the Noise, it was a song that the band did not want wanted to record. Right. You know, the uh, Spencer Proffer, basically the reason why there was a deal on the table was because we recorded that song. If that didn't happen, I really doubted that Spencer would have signed the band. You know? Wow. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and uh, so Metal Health. The song Metal Health and Don't Want to Let You Go were recorded before I even went in to do the Thunderbird, my Thunderbird track, which originally, that's what Kevin called me up and said, hey, you want to come in and do this as a tribute to Randy? And of course, I used to play with that song with him in Dubrow. You know, right. that, that was my bass line. I recorded the bass line that I yeah. used to play with him, you know. And um, so there was time in, in, in the session because, you know, I knew the song, so it went by really fast. I'm playing with Frankie. 
Kevin and and Carlos, of course. But you know, but when I say Frankie and Kevin, I already knew them. I knew how to play with them. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, it felt like this is quite a riot, but Randy was not there anymore. And when I say Frankie, is because I have been playing with Frankie for 10 years. <laughs> and, and every time, you know, Frankie was the first real rhythm section drummer, partner that I had. He's the one who mentored me on how to be a, a play, you know, rhythm section. The rhythm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, just think drums and bass, rhythm section. Yeah. And of course, the guitar player, a, a good guitar player will consider themselves part of that, too. And uh it came very, very easy, very comfortable. You know, it's uh, the it's the the guys that I have been playing with prior to joining Ozzy. So they asked me, uh, okay, uh, okay, we recorded Thunderbird. Uh, do you remember uh, Select Black Cadillac, which is the only song that made it from the Randy Rhodes right. era to Metal Health, and Kevin wrote that. I said, there from Randy to write a good song. <laughs> so he came up with I've, I've never heard the dare part. That's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. 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 That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. 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 And uh, he hit it out of the ballpark with that one. And then there were songs that I, that I already knew from Dubrow. I believe, uh, you know, let's get crazy. You know, uh, loves a bitch, you know, yeah. songs like that. Okay. So I, so going back to mental health, uh, Chuck Wright played bass on that. Before I even went into the, the uh, just one song trivia, and wound up doing more songs. Okay, so the origin of Metal Hell from going from no more booze was that Randy and I, every time we used to return to Los Angeles from tour with Ozzy, we get picked up, a uh, car would pick us up at the uh, at the airport, and we would request to be taken over to Kevin's place and just hang out with him and give him an update. Of what we were up to. Remember, there's no social media, there's right. no cell phones, nothing, no texting, no emails. This is yeah. a, you know, if you're gonna call somebody from from the UK to give them a 10 minute update, it's gonna cost you about a hundred bucks. Yeah, <laughs> right. You know, so it's like, no, we're not doing that. We'll let him know. What, we'll we'll brief him in what's going on <laughs> when we get to LA and we'll go to the Rainbow Hangout, right? So Randy and I, we're telling him. Uh, Kevin about wow you're not gonna believe this man we're playing in the in, in uh, you know these places in the UK and uh, there's there's these fans man they're nuts they're banging their heads against the stage while we're playing you know we had never seen anything like that so right. yeah. we're like telling him this so his wheels are turning and he took the song no more booze and turn it into bang your yeah. head. Wow. So your head. Oh, cool. So that refrain yeah. was no more booze. That's amazing to me. That sounds That's, really good, actually. Yeah. I actually sound better than bang your head. I think we <laughs> should go back <laughs> to the original. <laughs> wow, what a cool story. story. It is awesome. <laughs> and, you know, I've, I know a lot about, I consider that I know a lot about the history of Quiet Riot. And there was so much in that story that I didn't know. I didn't know No More Booze. I had never heard that. And I didn't realize you had helped work on those songs in Dubrow before you left to join Ozzy. I had no idea that. That's really neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All the songs that are actually Dubrow songs uh, of my period. Because, again, I left in 1981, April. And shortly after, Chuck came in. And then I came back into the band in 1982. So there was that one year period. Yeah. But the material that I did play with Kevin in Dubrow while I was there, yeah, those are the songs. Wow. And Love's a Bitch. It was originally mm-hmm. way more up tempo, wasn't it? It was kind of a faster song. 
Than, no, uh, no. And, I'm gonna, I, I, and I'm going to say something that I, I don't think I ever mentioned in a podcast. Okay, Kevin and I, we're living together. And Kevin has this, you know, that riff, right? Uh, the chorus. And, you know, this is typical. He used to do this all the time. He would be working on a song, and I was watching TV in his apartment, and I was really in a, in a bad place, romantically. <laughs> <laughs> happens. It happens. I mean, it was 40 years ago. Okay. I've been married for 37, so, you know, it's... Uh, Things are much better now. But <laughs> yeah. but at the time, you know, I was broke. I was, I mean, nobody wants to go out with a broke guy, you know, who's playing on the weekends, you know, maybe. <laughs> you <Yeah. know? laughs> so, you know, he goes, uh, you know, what do you think? And, I, and he says, yeah, actually, he asked me one of the very few times he ever asked me if I, if an idea for a chorus. And I just said, love's a bitch. Wow. That was it. Very and he cool. goes, uh, love's a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but actually, he asked me, what, what do you mean, loves a bitch? And I go, yeah, just go, loves a bitch, baby, loves a bitch. And that was it. So he took it from there. And then he, I, 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 th I think the, the verse is amazing. Yeah. You know, oh, I, had not, I had nothing to do with the verse. I yeah. just say I saw the chorus. Yeah. That's such a cool story. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, you really got to witness a lot of the evolution of Kevin Dubrow. I mean, joining Quiet Riot yeah. in 77 and then all the way through to Mental Health and even yeah. beyond, you know, yeah. condition critical. I, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I rarely get to talk about this because people don't bring it up. But I play with three different Kevins. I play with Kevin, the ringmaster of Quiet Riot, whose showcase was Randy Rhodes. He was there just to put this light on, uh, on Randy, as it should be, of course. I, right. Because I, I saw them before I joined the band. And of course, my eyes went over to this guitar player. That was amazing. So, yeah, but he, he had really no ambition of putting the spotlight on himself. It was all about celebrating Randy on stage, right? And then Randy leaves, and it's all by himself now. It's like, okay, well, I think I'm going to, you know, I lost my writing partner. I lost my, you know, my guitar player, you know. I'm just going to, like, work on myself and become the best Kevin I can be. That's the Dubro Kevin, which segue into the mental health record, Kevin. And then once the band made it big, that changed them too. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, it says a lot, you know, uh, revisionist history, but a lot of people in the 80s tried to say Kevin was hard to work with or this mm -hmm. or that. You always heard things like that. But like you said, even at such a young age to be willing to showcase someone else in the group when you are the front man right. and to showcase the guitar player, that really says a lot about character and ego. To yeah, absolutely, to absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's docu well documented. You know, we had a tempestuous relationship. Um, hard to really pinpoint the origin of it. Uh, I know people who, I mean, nobody has ever come up to me and said, this is what happened, you know. Yeah. But I don't dwell on that. I, I mean, if you put that, uh, let's say a, a balance, one of those balances, if you weigh this, the, the conflict versus all the great stuff that we did together and, the, and our good relationship, it outweighs any oh, other conflict. Sure. Of you know? And yeah, I just rather, rather hang on to that than anything else. When you ask me about my return to Quiet Riot, it's at the core of it, at the very, very core. Without this, I would not be doing it. It is to celebrate the memory of Frankie, Kevin, and Randy. Yeah. Without the celebration, no it's question. like it's like a body without a soul. Right. Yeah. You know? It's great. Yeah, that's awesome. So, I agree totally. 
So, Rudy, after Mental Health has that major success, and you guys have to follow it up with Condition Critical, what was that like composing that record? Was any of that left mm, over from the Bro Days? Yeah. Or how did, how did yeah. that whole process, and, and was that really overwhelming, really, to have to follow up Mental Health? Well, in many ways, uh, mostly because we were in the middle of a tour. We were headlining for Mental Health. We, uh, we, did, we started out in 83, right after the record came out in March, doing some dates, opening up for different bands. We even opened up for Vandenberg, uh, our first time outside of California, uh, actually in California, but outside of the LA, Southern California area. And then right after that, we uh, opened up for Scorpions, which led us to the Us Festival. And then after that, we started opening up for ZZ Top, Loverboy. Loverboy did not pick up the, uh, the second leg option of wow. the tour. So, so but by then, you know, we were, we were gaining momentum. And so the promoter started to offer uh, giving us headlining and... I mean, to headline on one record is very tough because you only got 40 minutes for a 75-minute set. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, for sure. You know, and playing, uh, and playing uh, uh, Highway to Hell, you know, it's, it's not an option. You, <laughs> right. you got to come up with your own, <laughs> stuff. Up with your own <laughs> stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, so, yeah, but we did it. And then after that, we picked up the, uh, the Iron Maiden tour and Black Sabbath brought us up to November when we went to number one and then we kept opening up we went to uh the uk and europe with uh, judas priest and then new year's eve cobo hall new year's eve of 83 to 84 we did our we opened up our headlining tour and uh with night ranger and girl school on the bill and we kept touring up until the record company literally came on the road had a meeting with us and says, we got to take you guys on in the studio next week because we need an album to come out on the third quarter of the year. And I mean, we only got like six weeks to wow. do this thing. And techno- yeah. And, and, you know, at that time we were just adjusting to becoming a headliner. That's what we're working on being a headliner, not working on producing the follow-up record. So we had to like uh, get off the road, start rehearsing, you know, no break because usually you you finish that tour you have a breather you know recharge your batteries and go in the studio to start writing the record and then and then you go to to record the record you know you bring a, a producer and you, uh, during your your songwriting session and to start working on arrangements and you know and ideas and so on but we didn't have that he was just like boom bypass everything go back in the studio <laughs> right. wow wow yeah. well you guys pulled it off though condition criticals yeah. is f- yeah. this record i mean yeah yeah i mean i i, I don't hate it i like i like you know i like everything yeah. on it but uh it was not the next step it was kind of like a mental health two part two right and we would have loved to have taken it to the next step really you know? yeah can I ask you a question about mm. the album before we move on, Dan, if you don't care? Yeah. Uh, Winners Take All. Mm. You know, that song, you all also did that with Randy Rhodes in the band with different lyrics. And the title was, sometimes you see it called Time, sometimes it's different things. Yeah. Uh, was that a song written by Kevin Dubrow? Because I know, like, Randy didn't get a songwriting credit on that one, but it was one that was definitely played, not recorded, but played in his era. You recall yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. There was some politics going on behind that I'm not going to get into. Okay. That, uh, that kept Randy's name from being 
on the songwriting credit. You know, that's as, far, as much as yeah, I'm going to say. But, yeah. but, yeah. but originally, it's the 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 core of the song is originally is uh, teenage anthem. Teenage anthem. Yeah. Yeah, from yeah. the Choir Riot days. Yeah. yeah. And of course, the bootlegs are online of that. This song is the highlight of the set for me. I've always loved that one on the mm-hmm. uh, on the bootlegs on YouTube and stuff. You love that yeah. song, so yeah. Has a little tidbit of goodbye to romance at the end of it, also when Randy yeah. played that with you all back in '78. Yeah, 78. yeah. 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 So it's really I cool. mean, it, you know, most of the Blizzard of Oz record was very, you know, with the exceptions, of course, of Mr. Crowley. You know, the darker tones of that record, but uh, goodbye to romance. Uh, even D, what what Randy recorded in D, I mean, I used to play bits of that during his guitar solo with Quiet mm-hmm. Riot. Right. You know, I'm not saying the whole piece, but you know, sure. motifs of that. If you listen to Crazy Train, if you listen to the verse, that's pretty much a Quiet Riot song. You know, No Bow Movies. I was that's, just gonna say that one. No Bow yeah, Movies for no sure. No Bow Movies. Yeah. yeah. You looking so, at me, looking at you is another big Quiet Riot. Uh, yeah. Song style, it was the, yeah. The guitar solo, oh, well, was from, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, because you know, hey, listen, I, I do you guys play in bands? We do, we, we yeah. both do actually, okay. yeah. Okay, so you know, you guys have had a journey. I'm, I'm sure you're not playing in the first band you ever played it, right? <laughs> no, okay, so what you do is you start with one band and you write some songs, they, they don't go anywhere with that band, and then you get in another band and you go, and they I, everybody goes, So, what do you got? I said, Well, I got. I got these ideas or these riffs, you know, that you actually were playing in the other band, but Absolutely. they were never used. And then Agreed. they get reworked and it's something else. <laughs> yep. you know? I would do it in a heartbeat, Rudy. I totally yeah. agree. I, yeah. 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 That's what everybody does. I mean, yeah. why throw away good parts just because they did not get recorded or reach its you know? potential? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I've done records like that. I did a record called Manic Eden with uh, Adrian Vandenberg and Tommy. And we had a singer, but that singer made those songs sound too much like Whitesnake, the band that we were just come from. And then we, when Ron Young came in, you know, from Little Caesar, he came in and completely turned her. And it wasn't like we rearranged the music. No, right. it was exactly what was recorded. Uh, this time, you know, this is in 1993. So it wasn't like we were recording on Pro Tools. We were still recording in two-inch, real, you know, analog. Mm-hmm. Right, and so nothing got rearranged as far as like you know, Ron Young coming in and say, "Oh man, I wish I had ex- four more bars at the end of this verse so I can put this vocal line." <laughs> yeah, no, he had to fit everything he did to what was already written. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's great. So back to playing with Ozzy, if you don't mind, if we kind of explore that a little bit, you know, it is called a diary. It is, <laughs> yeah, so absolutely. It's it, it, no surprise to me. No question. <laughs> you know, um, so you got to play as you talked about. You came into the project a little late, and Bob and and Lee had already done the record. How different were learning Bob's bass lines versus learning Geezer's bass lines? Having to cram that in for five days. They're both such incredible bass players, like yeah. yourself. What yeah. was the differences between learning okay. all those songs? Okay. And this is something that you guys being musicians, you probably understand when, when I explain this. When I started playing with Frankie Benali, concepts of being a rhythm, rhythm section player was to listen to the drums. The drums, to me, you know, this is something I've kept ever since, since 1972. He's the conductor of the band. 100%. Right? Yep. He's the conductor, I- right? So when you got somebody like Tommy Aldridge, who 
Tommy Aldridge plays like Tommy Aldridge, no matter what band he's in, you know. And so I had to make a few adaptations just to like to be able to be part of the rhythm section. I can't play this exactly like this on the record because it's a whole different conductor, it's a whole different drummer, right. you know. Now, Geezer uh, versus uh, Bob, as far as their approach to, to what they write, you know, bass lines, Geezer uh, is more pentatonic uh, blues bass with some tinge of jazz thrown in. And I think the jazz is more feel than choice of notes. Right. Okay. Well, you have Bob Daisley is more of a McCartney melodic bass player. Yeah. Brilliant bass yeah. line. Yeah. yeah. More uh, whole tones, you know. Uh, yeah, he'll do some pentatonics, a major pentatonic. Like, for example, Goodbye to Romance is full of that. But but he's more kind of like a McCartney melodic driving bass player. Yeah. Yeah. Did you did you happen to have songs that you enjoyed learning more than others? I know, just out of curiosity, is there songs you like? Is there one song you're like, yes, that's definitely the song from that era that I loved? Yeah, you, you know, I know, a lot of people might not even know this. My teacher learning those songs, the bass lines was Randy. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, because we need we needed to go on tour. I joined the band and. The opening day was like nine days away. It was yeah. like, you better learn these songs quick. So I'm <laughs> right. going to sit down with you. And remember, the record had just come out. I didn't have a copy of it. Right. Every time I heard a song it was brand new to me. It's not like 40 years later that yeah. everybody knows, you know. Yeah, and everyone knows train. them. But right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Everybody has heard Crazy Train before they even learn how to play that Crazy Train. I, I, you know, I heard all the songs for the very first time. And Blizzard of Oz, I mean, uh, Diary of a Madman record, the same. What my a diary wasn't even released yet, right? You know, when November I remember, yeah, yeah, or it wasn't even mixed yet when I heard the two songs that I had to learn to add to the set, which was Believer and uh, Flying High Again, Flying High Again. Thank yeah. you, yeah, yeah, Over the Mountain was added for the next uh, tour, right? So it was like, okay, and you got to retain this. You're not gonna be standing on stage with a with a with a, with, a, with a music stand, you know, with with yeah. chords. <laughs> you have to like internalize it. Not only you have to learn it, you got to learn how to play it with the band, you yeah. know, and perform. Uh, you yeah, know, you perform gotta, yeah. gotta perform. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Randy sat down with me and went over all the parts, make sure that I had all the nooks and crannies of of everything. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I you know having having already played with Randy before in Quiet Riot, you know he's he's a complete composer. Meaning that when he would bring in a song, he had an idea of how everything should go to match the vision in in his head. And uh, I don't know what happened, but the Aussie's music changed after Randy passed. Sure. Well, of course. Yeah. There's yeah. Only one I mean, Randy every, yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, I mean everything. The, uh, the everything from how the rhythm section played, the uh, the harmonic structure of uh, of the compositions, bass lines change, everything change, everything. Yeah, yeah. Well, you stated it perfectly. I actually have said that before. I, you know, Randy didn't write songs; he composed them. I've I've actually yeah, exactly. made that statement before yeah. myself. No question. Yeah. yeah. When yeah. you're you're playing with Dubrow. And then all of a sudden, Ozzy needs a bass player, and they reach out to you. Mm-hmm. How did you re- did, did Randy call you and say, "Hey, Rudes, you got to come no. check this out"? Or how did how did that no. work out? 
No, I, uh, what I coin now as an alcoholic decision, I, um, I've been sober for 24 years. So congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. But it's not like I got the, I got the call when I was drunk or anything. I just happened, you know, if you, if you happen to be an alcoholic, uh, even if you're sober, you, you're, you have an alcoholic mind and which we shall learn. And I, uh, I don't do that anymore, but, uh, that moment in 1981, when I got the phone call, I was, I was sleeping in Kevin DeBro's apartment, and I got this phone call, and uh, this uh, lady on the other line happened to be Sharon, uh, introduces herself and, uh, and tells me that Randy has been recommending me for, for, to audition for Ozzy, and I immediately, immediately, like I didn't even let her finish, I turned it down, because I was playing in a band called Angel. Now, I like Angel. You know, I love playing with those guys. It's a band that I really respected and admired. But I was sleeping on a floor. They they didn't have a record deal at the time. They had just uh, lost the Casablanca deal. There were some potential record deals on the table. But again, potential doesn't mean that it's going to happen. So I turn it down. And then I tell Kevin about it. And he starts yelling at me, putting some sense into what I had just, the mistake that I had made. And I had no idea that the next day I was going to get a call from Ozzy himself calling me saying, hey, man, you know, a bunch of guys came in an audition and Randy keeps telling me that, that you're the guy. And uh, by then I was like, yes, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I'm there. Yeah, yeah that's so, cool. Yeah, so Randy picks me up. And then again, you know, to get a call today, 40 years later from Ozzy, it's a different phone call to get a call from him in 1981. Yeah. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I mean, I, you know, put things in, into perspective, you know, what does it mean? Who is this guy? Is yeah. he going to make it? Right. You know, you know, it's like, it's Ozzy, right? Ozzy in 1981, you know, and I hadn't even heard, heard the whole record. You know, it was like, all I know is that Randy's in the band and I'm going to get off the floor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I get this gig, I might sleep in a bed, you know, and feed myself. That's all I knew. And of course, like I just mentioned, play with Randy again. Right. I, I, I didn't. Re- I did not know until I walked in and start and, and learned the songs. And I go, wow, these songs are are awesome. Yeah. Great. Yeah. You know. So I learned two songs um, for the audition the following day: uh, "Crazy Train" and uh, "I Don't Know." And I nice. played them, played them. I got there to rehearsal a little bit early. Randy picked me up. Actually, he came over, taught me the songs, how they go. This is how they go. I never heard them. He brought the tape <laughs> here. Yeah. You know, this, this is how it goes. So I had to like memorize it really quickly. And then I went over a couple of times with uh, Tommy and Randy. And then Sharon Ozzy walked in and they heard me play one time by myself. And then the next time Ozzy got up on stage. I guess just to get a vibe, and and then that that was it. I was offered the gig. (laughs) Ozzy turns around to me and says, "Hey man, you want the gig?" (laughs) (laughs) That was it. You know, that's awesome, Rudy. Those are the kind of stories we enjoy on this podcast. We thrive on not talking about the similar stories over and over, and kind of digging deeper into what. So yeah, yeah, we really enjoy stuff like that. So Tommy was already established and with rehearsing already. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Tommy was in the band. Tommy did not audition. Tommy has, I don't think he has auditioned since the 70s <laughs> or, or the yeah, 60s. Yeah. Or the 60s when, when he first got the uh, Black Oak, Oak Arkansas. Arkansas, right. Yeah, back in the 60s. I don't think he's ever auditioned after that. 
Yeah, but, well, I think Ozzy and Randy were both big fans of his. Yeah, already, they were. So they, yeah, well, they knew Black him. Oak and Black Sabbath toured together. Yeah. yeah. So they knew each other. And Tommy had been playing with some of the Jet Record Don Arden acts prior to him joining Ozzy, one of them being Gary Moore. Right. You know, a nuclear attack. He played on, on that record. And uh, so, you know, they were really familiar with him. And uh, by me, I was like, who's this guy? <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's Randy's uh, old bass player. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's clear that Randy wanted you in the group. I mean, he reached out to you and worked with you on the song. So it's, it's yeah. cool that he definitely wanted you to, to join the group. I think what, what Randy was looking for was exactly what I lost when I lost him in the crash was family. When I joined the band, you know, we just hung out together a lot because family, family from the word familiar, familiarity right. from Quiet Riot, you know, so I'm, I'm familiar with him, family. And then when, when I lost Randy in, in the crash, I lost my family in, in Ozzy because Randy wasn't there anymore. So I walk in to record Thunder, just one song, Thunderbird, and I found my family again. Here's Frankie, who I've been playing with him on and off for 10 years. And here's Kevin, who I just played with him in Quiet Riot and, and, and Dubrow. It was like, oh, okay, here's the family. That's why, to me, it was not even, it was basically a no-brainer to join what became, it officially became Quiet Riot once we all signed the record deal. And uh, leave one of the biggest bands in the world. And I was really beautifully taken care of by Sharon Ozzy. It was not an easy decision for me to make, but I, I had lost the joy of playing music. Because I wasn't, yeah. uh, I yeah. lost my family, you know, when, when I lost Randy. And I found that again when I went into record, you know, tribute. I mean, Thunderbird, Thunderbird. as a tribute to Randy, right. you know. Yeah. And um, trust me, the only person that did not question <laughs> leaving Ozzy was my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time. I, we met in 1981, so she was with me during the whole thing, and she never said a peep about, are you crazy? <laughs> yeah. It's great you support. You're living What's wrong right. with you? Just, yeah. You know, you just, she's never gotten into my business, you know? How because, does, um, but, but then again, it's her business, too, because she's my wife. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Partner. Yeah. How, how did Ozzy take the news when you let him know that you were going back to Quiet Riot? Well, I let uh, Sharon know, and... You know, it was just a phone call, and she, uh, she basically she did not let me finish, and, and she goes, "Nobody leaves Ozzy," and that was it. She hung up, and wow. that was it. You know, mm. it, it wasn't easy. I mean, you know, it, listen, it was it was it was so hard to do that. Yeah. You know, it's so hard, but I emotionally I had no choice. Right. Well, as a musician, and I'm sure Dan can can understand this also. I understand the feeling of familiarity that you speak of. I mean, you get with the old guys. <laughs> And it just feels right, and mm. I can totally see how you made that decision, especially after finishing that tour. It had to be so hard, yeah. You know, oh, and it was, yeah. yeah. So, to back up real quick, I have a quick question. You said that when you guys did your first headline shows as Quiet Right, Night Ranger mm. opened. Was your connection mm. with Brad Gillis anything to do with that, or how did I? How you did, know, peripherally, it might, it might have not. You know, it, when you ask a band to join the you know, to come on your tour, it's pretty much up to the band to accept the, the invitation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's not like we say, okay, we are making you tour with us. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it has to, it has to be a good 
decision for everybody involved. Yeah. You know, so I'm glad that Bradley, you know, came and joined us. And it was great having, I, I know all those guys. And we were friends even before that happened. So I, I'll tell you a little story. When we finished recording Speak of the Devil, we were on the same flight back to Los Angeles, Brad and me. And of course, you know, I have, I have done like at least four songs from, uh, from that one up on the Mental Health Record. Because like I mentioned, I went to record Thunderbird as a tribute to Randy before I went over to, to record Speak of the Devil yeah. within the same, you know, a week to 10 days or probably even less than that. So I had a cassette of the songs that I tracked. And uh, so on the flight back, you know, this is 40 years ago. So back in the day, you could actually, on the red eye, there was nobody on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> so we were like, you know, we took a, a, a whole row all to ourselves and we were just like, you know, nodding out and sleeping and resting. And he goes, he goes to me, hey, you want to hear something? Something that I'm working on? And it was the Night Ranger record. And I go, well, let me play you something that I've, I've just been working on. <laughs> you know, by, by this time, I had not mentioned to anybody that I was leaving. It was not. Uh, I knew it in my heart that as soon as I got to L.A. and I got my business taken care of regarding what my uh, my speak of the devil contractual obligations that I could go and, and announce to Sharon. We were, you know, the first people to know that I was leaving besides the guys in Quiet Riot that I was going to leave to join the mental health version of Quiet Riot. Nobody knew anything about it. I didn't even tell till the. Uh, when I played those songs to to Brad, it wasn't like, yeah, I'm leaving Ozzy and and then I'm and these are the, the, this is the the record that I'm working on. No, it was like this is like a side thing, sort of. Right. Because, yeah. because Brad wasn't really like, yeah, I'm leaving Ozzy because he didn't. He didn't. He kept touring with Ozzy. He did the Speak of the Devil tour. As a matter of fact, Pete Way is the bass player on that. Right. Yeah, so he did not officially leave Ozzy until the following year. Because this is 82, so in 83 is when he officially leaves Ozzy. And brings in Jake, right? So to backtrack just a little bit, when you guys were transferring from the Blizzard tour to the Diary tour, was there more songs from Diary that was worked up at the time before the set list? Yeah. I mean, you know, I know that only Flying High Again and Believer were already in the set list, but yeah. only Over the Mountain was added. So yeah. out of curiosity, I mean... Were songs like SATO or You Can't Kill Rock and Roll and any other songs worked up to try to get into the set? Okay. Uh, and I wrote about it in my book. It's in the book. Yep. And it's so, a great book. Off the rails yeah. for the listeners. It is a great it's, book. Yeah, I wrote, uh, because I, you know, I wrote the book kind of like a journal, you know, because I wanted to take the, uh, the reader by the hand. And it's like, this is what happened. <laughs> 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 from, my, from my perception, from what I saw, what I experienced, this is what happened. Okay. So uh, we were on tour in Dortmund, Germany, opening up for Saxon. And Ozzy has a mental breakdown. I mean, he goes bonkers. I've never, anybody, <laughs> I've never seen anybody go so bonkers and not get arrested. Wow. You know, wow. at a hotel. Yeah. He went bonkers, you know. Uh, I, I wrote about it. In the, it's in the book. So they take him to St. John's Woods Mental Institution in, in the U.K., and it's in there. As a matter of fact, there's, there's, there's a part in the book that we're hanging, uh, Randy and I were hanging some, in a bar and Sharon comes in and grabs us and takes us over to see Ozzy. And it was like a scene out of Elephant Man. You know, those hospitals in England were just drab and dreary. This is 40 years yeah. ago, you know. 
everything is gray, gray. And Ozzy's just there in this room all by himself with like really low light and gray metal headboard and and everything was metal, you know, like like the old iron cast metal beds and wow. And these, you know, it was it was a very Spartan. There was not a whole lot of stuff in, in that room. And I don't know what medication they were giving him, but he would cry and he would laugh just from one moment to the other. And and it was like, wow, this is and we're rehearsing. It was it was Tommy, <laughs> Randy, Don Eric had just joined the band, and we're rehearsing and we're learning every single song from the record because we don't know what song Ozzy wants to sing. And there were cue cards with the lyrics to the songs. And we were rehearsing in this production facility, uh, like a sound stage for, uh, yeah, we were in, uh, it's a, it's a uh, movie studios where they used to film James Bond. Uh, you Twi- know okay. Yeah, Twickenham or something like oh, that. Okay. Yeah. You know, one of those, as a matter of fact, I remember in the hotel we were staying at, I saw Sean Connery in the lobby one time. Wow. Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. But uh, I, don't, I don't know what movie he was making, but, you know, it was in that facility. Because what they were doing is they were building the castle, the staging. It was Stage. built in England. It was built yeah. in England, and then it was shipped over to, yeah. to the U.S. So right. at the time, it was only the framework, the frame of what, without the facade, but it looked like the shapes, you know, of the right. castle. That was behind us. So to give us an idea of what it, how massive it was going to be. How big stage. it would be. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we were bored. We're in England and we got nothing to do but to play. Right. So let's play. Let's learn the whole record. So we did. We learned wow. every single song. And then Ozzy gets released from the, uh, from the hospital and he comes in. And I don't know if he was taking medication or whatever. He just walks. As we're playing, he walks right in plops himself in a sofa and goes to sleep as we're playing. (laughs) (laughs) And then we had a little meeting and Sharon's basically talking him into like, you know, say, Ozzy, we can't go back to the States and play exactly the same set that we just did a few months ago. Because literally it was going to be a matter of months. Right. We finished our tour in September and we started uh, December 30th at, uh, uh, Cal Palace Palace in San Francisco. Yeah. And then New Year's Eve, the following day, was at the Long Beach Arena. Uh, No, the Sports Arena, downtown LA, the Sports Arena. And then then the next day was uh, 1982, uh, January 1st. Okay. So it was like, you know, we can't go back and do exactly the same. So he settled on doing... Over the mountain, and he said, I, I got to do a first song because I'm not, I don't think I'm going to be able to sing it in the set. So right. it's got to open up with that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that was it. We added uh, Goodbye to Romance. And, yeah, that's so, true. Yeah. yeah. But as far as, uh, uh, as, far as uh, songs from, uh, from diary. diary, no, I mean, we, we rehearsed everything. We learned Diary of Madman, SATO. That would have been amazing. You name it. Yeah, we record. It sure would be great if you had recordings of those, but unfortunately, yeah, right. <laughs> we'd love to hear Randy playing on those with you guys and hearing yeah, you but, and Tommy. And, but without Ozzy, yeah. you know, right? It doesn't make much sense. You know? Nah, we'd still love it. <laughs> It'd be awesome. <laughs> um, 
so that brings us to the back to speak of the devil and you guys have five mm. days to learn all of those songs yeah. Was the band involved in the set list at all saying hey let's let's work up these songs ozzy or was that just pretty much how was that song selection well we were just getting a list okay and three of the songs we had already okay here here was the plan uh iron man children of the grave and paranoid since they were included from the first day that, that i played with them right on in the uh, blizzard of us set and also in the diary of the madman set list right sharon said uh you know what we're going to use one of randy's recordings with those songs and put them on in the record wow which of course things got scrapped thank along god the yeah. way yeah. you know yeah, yeah. Thank so god. so we didn't even rehearse those because we have been playing those right right so the rest of the set was pretty much songs that I gotta tell you, I I I grew up as a starving musician with no Spotify, so I could not listen to songs on demand for <laughs> right. free. You know, yeah. so my choices of like if every month I could afford to buy one LP would be basically Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple, <laughs> The Who. You know, something like that. Yeah. Right. Of course, you know, the Beatles, not even the Stones, but yeah, the Stones, Sticky Fingers. I definitely bought that Great one. Great record, yeah. yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. 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 Because, you know, we we could play those songs in bars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, could not, you could not go to a bar and play Black Sabbath. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nobody nobody would dance to that. <laughs> Crack was not popular then. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> So personally, Speak of the Devil is my favorite live album of all time, Rudy. I think the band is on fire. You guys are amazing on it. And I just think it was a great blend of taking those Sabbath songs and making it mm-hmm. more of a modern Aussie solo sound. And you really, really nailed it. Yeah, I I have been playing with Tommy up until then for over a year and a half. Well, you know, and I knew what to expect from Tommy. But uh, what what Brad brought out, I mean, I mean. I don't know, maybe he took a little bit more liberties and felt less pressure of the shadow of Randy when he approached yeah. the uh, the Black Sabbath songs. Yes, yeah. yeah. excellent point. Yeah. You know, so he was, I think when we did, he was told, listen, just when he joined Ozzy, he says, here's the songs. And I know because I was there when he was told, you know, to be as accurate as possible to Randy's playing. So he was kind of like, he was always very, he would not take any risks. Yeah. You know, right. Once it came to the black Sabbath material, I think it was more like purging that, uh, kind of like being boxed into like, you got to play it this way. I think, I don't think anybody told him that he had to play it like Tony Iommi. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. And he just, he made it his own basically. Uh, of course, following the, the blueprint, sure. The musical blueprint that is laid out, you know, yeah, he knocked it out of the park. He done yeah, a he stellar did. job. Yeah, that that album really is. Did. He did. Our last episode, we ranked all of Ozzy's live albums in order from our least favorites to favorites. Mm. Mm. And my favorite is Tribute, and Dan's is Speak of the Devil. Yeah, you I would, actually, yeah, yeah you yeah. play on all the top three for That's both right. of us because <laughs> you, <laughs> you were on Tribute, you were on Speak of the Devil, and Ozzy Live, they released in 2011 in the box set. Which is the Montreal show that you were on. Yeah. Oh, that's Ozzy Live? The King Biscuit. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I didn't even know what what it was. Yeah, that was the uh, the King Biscuit Flower Hour show, essentially. Well, let me tell you a little story. (laughs) We love stories. This is why we're here. Okay. And this is what happened. And I can tell you because I was there. 
Okay. Okay. So King. Okay. So we did. Okay. Bathead Soup was the first live show that got broadcast. That's from Cleveland, 1981. Okay. Then they they decide let's make another one, and this was recorded in Montreal, which was the last show of the Canadian tour, and we left. Well, the Aussie band left to do the Port Vale show with Motorhead. Mm-hmm. The reason, do you know the reason why we did that show? No. Black Sabbath canceled. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. Black yeah. Sabbath canceled. It was we were a last minute addition to because there's no Black Sabbath. So let me let me personally ask Ozzy to come in, basically to save the day. Right? Okay. So I don't know if it was the the logistics of like Ozzy knowing like because Ozzy was coming home for the first time in almost a year, months, months to see his family. And I know that, that there was there was an emotional conflict going on because his wife had been on the road with us, Thelma, through the Canadian tour, right? And yeah. Sharon, Sharon was playing head games with her boyfriend, Ozzy, mm-hmm. right? So you got yeah. all this stuff going on, you know, behind the scenes. This is going on behind the scenes. Nobody knows. This is stuff that really doesn't matter. When you, once you hit the stage and the audience is there to watch you perform, this should go away, but a lot of times it doesn't go away. It, it, it gets internalized into your performance because you got to be yourself. So yeah. if all this stuff is going on, it's going to somehow come out in your performance, right? I swear out, yeah. Yeah. So that show, okay, I did not travel with the band after Montreal. I went with our tour manager. I traveled to LA to the embassy, the, uh, the U.S. embassy to get a um, re-entry permit, re-entry. So I had a green card, which meant that I could enter the United States again. I could come home. But there was no passport to attach visas to, right? So yeah. I was coming from Canada, went into the United States. Back in, back in the day, you could enter and leave Canada with your driver's license. Wow. That's all you needed. That's your only identification that you needed back in 1981. Right, so that was like a no-brainer, me coming back into into the U.S. And uh, so I arrived a day later, the day right before the show. Right, so I remember I, I get to the hotel, and Randy's telling me, "Oh, Ozzy's having a wobbler. He doesn't like the recording." And he's playing. Uh, then I go to Ozzy's room, and he's playing me the cassette, and I'm listening to, it and I go, hey, I, "I don't hear anything wrong with it." And he's like freaking out because I did not agree with him. But it's like, I, I don't know. And then he's like pissed off because I, you know, I was not yeah. on, his, on his side, you know. Okay. <laughs> so anyways, that gets shelved. Like that shelved. Right. So they, they reschedule a re-recording of that. And remember, these were, the purpose of these recordings were just purely to be broadcast. It's a radio broadcast. Mm-hmm. The thought of having turning that into a record wasn't even, you know, yeah. was, you know, that did not exist in our in our galaxy. That was just like, okay, this is a radio broadcast. So they uh, reschedule one for us to record it in the uh, I think it's Marcus Square Theater in Indianapolis, across from Marcus Square Arena. This is the theater, very small. You know, it's a theater. better sound, probably. Yeah. Well. This is like weeks later after Port Vale, because once we went to Port Vale, Ozzy did not want to come back to the United States. He wanted, he wanted to like be at home in England, 
You wanted to quit the tour. <laughs> there was a lot of tension going on. Wanted to work it I out. Mean, yeah. I, I wrote it in my book. Yeah. You know, it's all in there, yeah. all the stuff going on. So we that's the show that aired. Meanwhile, the uh, Montreal show was shelved. If you read the back of Tribute, it credits that that is what you're buying. That's what you're listening to. Montreal. Yeah. It's okay. Not. But it's yeah. not as Cleveland. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. So, but then again, it had, I'm not even in the band when this is released. You yeah. Know. Right? It's 87. Yeah. Right? Uh, 87. Yeah. I'm not even in the band. It has nothing to do with me. And even if I was in the band, nobody would come to me and say, Rudy, uh, what do you think? <laughs> should, should we do this? No. That, uh, that photo that's in the inner sleeve of Diary of a Madman, that, what I was told is like, listen, we need some photos for the next tour book. Yeah, the tour book, you know. Ross Halton came over, we did a photo session, we're going to go to Disneyland. You know, trust me, if you're shooting for Diary of the Madman album art with Ozzy dressed up like, you know, like whatever, mm -hmm. you know, with the fangs and the blood and everything, the last thing you want to do is go to Disneyland. That's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. So do a photo session. Yeah. <laughs> you don't do that. That's photo session right. with, with like sailors and all these people and randy <laughs> has a lollipop sitting yeah. in the church no that was supposed to be for the tour book, tour book and right. then and then uh we're in england and in the uk you know getting uh i'm, I'm at the office and there and and they show me the the album work uh you know the record and then the inner sleeve and i pull it out and it's like oh my god it's us <laughs> wow <laughs> you know <laughs> no, it's yeah like, it's like I'm not playing on this record. Why right. is this? Why is Tommy? Tommy's not playing on the record. I'm not playing on the record. Why are we in here? And then it's some, some kind of druid words. Writing. Yeah. That, writing that is like, it says the, the Ozzy Osbourne band in druid. Right. And it's like, yeah. okay. And, and I turned to, you know, I'm, I it was either Randy or Tommy. And I said, you know what? I'm going to, I know I'm going to have to, the rest of my life, I'm going to have to explain this. Unfortunately, this record, you know, I wrote her about her in my book. I will make it a secret. It is what it is, but yeah. I have no control of that. It's such a tough spot to be in though. When you, when you, know, when you have a band and even though it was considered a solo project at the time, it's still a group. And, you know, you're touring with this group and these are the guys in the band, the album comes out and you have different guys that play. It is definitely a conundrum of what to do as far as how do you showcase that art? I mean, it's definitely, it, even at, at my level, that's a question. You know, if we had a bass player leave the group, I probably wouldn't put his face on our new album either if he's not in the group anymore. So it's, right. uh, I can see it's both sides of it. But unfortunately for you, it puts you in a spot of having to explain it when you had nothing to do with it. it nothing to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if if anybody, let's say on Twitter, says, "Oh, I like what you played on the on Diary of a Madman Regular," say, "Oh yeah, that would be Bob Daisley." Right. And I yeah, of put his at Bob Daisley, whatever you know. So absolutely, you know, two, yeah. two legends. So yeah. yeah. So was was Randy writing anything while you guys were on tour? I mean, was there any talk of a follow up to Diary? Um, you know, and he was okay. He was concentrating on his classical uh, lessons, classical guitar. And in addition to that, before he passed away, he gave notice to Ozzy and Sharon that he was going to leave the band and go back in the studio. Making another record was not part of his vision of, of the future of Randy Rhodes. You know, Randy 
was a teacher who he was a musician. He became a rock star. He became a legend just because it's Randy. Yeah, what what yeah. you see on stage is the same guy off stage. You know, actually, what what you saw on stage with Ozzy, if you compare early photos of Quiet Riot, he's got the same passion. We would be playing for like five six people in some remote you know club in the outskirts of L.A. on a Wednesday night, and Randy will go on stage. And deliver the same passion as he would in front of ten thousand people without yeah. because yeah. that's all he knows how to do. Yeah. True artist, and, and that's you know? after playing eight hours that day giving lessons also. Yeah, right? so I mean, yeah, yeah this love to well, play. Well, you know, the given the lessons that the only place he could really be himself is playing the music that he composed. So whether it was with Quiet Riot or it was with Ozzy, he could be Randy. When he's giving lessons, he's not giving lessons on. Music that had ne- had not been written yet, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. You know, so it, that was kind of like his his being the real. He loved teaching. Oh my God, he loved teaching. As a matter of fact, if you look at any photo of Randy, the clarity, the way he faces the guitar to the audience. I mean, I, sometimes I could look at it and say, oh, oh, he's playing a certain song because of his, yeah. you know, whatever right. chord he happens yeah, to just, play. Yeah, yeah, you know. Did you enjoy teaching also? I know you taught at Musonia for a short time. Yeah, season. well, I, it's not that I enjoy teaching as much as I enjoy hanging with Randy because it was the, uh, you know, we all had separate lives when we were living in L.A. You know, he, he was busy teaching and we would like get together for rehearsal about two hours and not every night and then rehearse the set list forwards and backwards like Metallica. I think they took that idea from <laughs> yeah. us. That's, That's right. where they got it from. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and then whatever demos that songs that were floating around to make demos of, we'll work on those. And uh, then everybody goes home, and we do it again the next day. And then on the weekends, probably t- at least two weekends out of the month, we had gigs uh, around town, and that was it. That was pretty much our, our schedule. So there was not a whole lot of socializing. Yeah. Socializing was done at the gigs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But when I started teaching, I could socialize with him because, you know, in between breaks and in between lessons, I could, you know, hang out with him and listen to stuff that he would never play at the rehearsal because it was not yeah. applicable. You know, like like his classical guitar playing. I mean, it's different if he's playing classical on the electric, let's say uh, teenage anthem. He would play in a way that it was, yeah, it was more finger finger picking than actual real classical, you know, the way that yeah. you would play classical music. But when he would, you know, put a, take out his classical guitar and start playing the, those songs, you know, classical compositions that he was studying, I would go, oh, wow, okay, it's, it's a whole different, different attack. Because Randy Electric, palm muting, a lot of palm muting, very light, very mm-hmm. loud amplifier that we play very lightly with, a lot, with definition, articulation, right. a lot of palm muting. That's how he developed that yeah. rhythm guitar style, right? And then when he started playing classical, whenever you see his thumbnail grow, that's when he was he was yeah. getting into that classical phase of Randy right. playing like yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's yeah. a whole different articulation. Yeah. Yeah. To this day, I hold my guitar picking hand outward like that sometimes, just like mm-hmm. Randy did on After Hours, because I would mm-hmm. uh, something I picked up on watching him on those videos yeah. how he kind of yeah. held his hand the way he palm muted. Yeah, he would anchor with his pinky. Yeah, yeah. anchor with a pinky yeah. on the bridge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Hey, Rudy, before we let you go, do you care to speak to us a little bit about After Hours? Uh, any thoughts you had, you know, when you guys recorded that? Or obviously <laughs> you had no idea that 40 years later, that would be the only professional recording of you, yeah. Randy, and Ozzy. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's the only three-camera shoot that we did. Yeah. Uh, and people say, you know, people say, how come you guys did not do one with Randy? Yes, we did. But Randy had passed away. Before that, that's the the one also called "Speak of the Devil" from uh, Irvine. Irvine, Irvine, yeah, yeah. yeah. We love that show. Yeah, it's excellent show. And and with Brad, but that was the you know, it's like guys, you know, to do a production like that, you take months building up to it. So Randy passed away in March 19th, and we did that like June. Yeah. 2022 yeah I was, it was definitely june yeah 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 because that was the last show we did in continental u.s and then we went over to hawaii and, and ozzy and sharon get married july 4th so it was like in, in during that week period so it was you know i think it's it's in the book i have i've written down exactly what day it was but uh so from march april may june like three and a half months right from March 19th to, to the end of June, three and a half months. Yeah, we were preparing. As a matter of fact, the reason why Randy told Ozzy, because it, it originally died, Speak of the Devil was supposed to be Speak of the Devil, the Black Sabbath recordings live in an arena. Hmm. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Not, interesting. not the Diary of a Madman tour. Yeah. Right. It was not supposed to be that, right? And yeah. Randy did not want to do it, did not want to take part of it. He did not right. want to, like, after two records with, of all original compositions with Ozzy, he didn't want to, or, you know, Blizzard and Diary, he didn't want to, like, he felt it was going to take a step back, many steps back, and make this live recording of, you know, the, you know a, a live performance of Sabbath material. He said, yeah. I don't want to do this, you know? So it was in the works. It just so happens that Randy not, did not live long enough. Yeah. So that's the reason they still call that Speak of the Devil, even though it isn't the same as the album, was because that was the initial idea was for that live recording, video recording, to be the Black Sabbath set. Wow. That's, wow. that's awesome. That's, that's huge news, actually. I've never I, I'm not telling you this. This is you're coming to that conclusion. Okay. <laughs> to, be honest with you, to be honest with you, I have no clue why there's two Speak of the Devil. Right. Yeah. Yeah, All I know yeah. is that there are two speak of the devils. <laughs> There's absolutely two speak of the devils, and they're totally yeah. different. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just want to say real quick, that stage, though, on the Speak of the Devil live show, the one you right. guys used for the Diary of the Mayman tour, that's the coolest stage in rock and roll history. Dan, yeah, do you agree? Oh, yeah, it's amazing. And no that's question. before they, they got rid of the big hand that was dumping the meat out into the, the audience. The big hand. Uh, yeah. I, got, I have photos of the big hand. Yep. I've seen, that's where yes. I stopped for the first time is your book. It's yeah, so but... Cool. But the big hand did not really the the the, the catapult right. that threw the meat into the audience did not work very well uh, <laughs> because there there's two things uh, the uh, the fingertips of the gauntlet that uh, smoke fire and smoke comes out of that and then then there was a catapult that would you know like in medieval days you know right. people used to, you know you, you put yeah. a catapult with a cow a dead cow and you throw it into a, 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 over the castle wall or oil or whatever, you know, yeah. to, to whatever, whatever <laughs> they could think of to cause harm, you know, yeah, anything, <laughs> do anything. Right. So after that gauntlet was axed, Sharon came up with the idea of giving little John, the dwarf, right. A bucket of whatever was left over from uh, catering crew meal and put it in the bucket <laughs> and 
during Paranoid, started my end of the stage and dragged the bucket across the stage, throwing whatever was in that bucket to the audience. Oh, my and what happens? And what happens every night? It's the laws of physics. Whatever goes into the audience will come back on stage. Come back. Yeah. <laughs> Especially, I, I got hit one time or, on my forehead uh, with a piece of frozen liver because a lot of the time there was nothing left in catering. So they would send out a runner to get, you know, some uh, tripes and liver and kidneys or whatever, you know, whatever cheap stuff that they would get at the uh, grocery. Meat. And, and a lot of times it did not thaw out. It was still frozen. Oh, my God. Time, oh, that but, had to hurt. Yo, yeah, it did hurt. Yo, yeah. one time uh, little John got knocked out. He got hit by a piece of meat that was frozen, and they had to drag him to the hospital and put little stitches and stuff. Yeah. Wow. Rudy, thank yeah. you so much for your time. I will hey, say, thank you. Um, any talk of recording new materials, Quiet Riot? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have a couple of, a couple of uh, surprises coming up that have already recorded. So they're just waiting to be released. We're going awesome. to release them in conjunction when we start touring in February. Excellent. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Awesome. Thank you so Excellent. much. Thank, Thank you so much for your time. Man. And it's been an yeah. honor for the both of us for you to take the time to talk well, to it's us. It's a pleasure. Thank you, you so know, much. Totally, totally. Hopefully we'll uh, see you on the road when you, I'm in Phoenix. And when you guys come to Phoenix, I will definitely make my way out. Yeah, Phoenix and where are you at? I'm in Kentucky. Kentucky Matter of fact, okay. Quiet Riot played 15 minutes from my house just like in October, but it was still Chuck Wright was still on the Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, I've only done two shows, so... Um, yeah. I'm looking forward to uh, you know getting steady flow of, of gigs. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're actually you're in early, right? You wasn't supposed to start until 2022. Right? Yeah, because this what happened is you know all the dates for 2022 get booked. I would say the bulk of it in the year before. Yeah. So they uh, we needed to make a presentation to the promoters and the agents of what the band is going to sound like. But we couldn't wait until next year because then we're not going to get any bookings. So we yeah. have to do it now. So we got two shows. And of course, you know, the best marketing tool you have at any show is the fan based video. Right. Because it's not Absolutely. fixed. It, it, is, it is what it, it is. is. What it, is. it is what it yeah. is. Yeah. 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 So, Excellent set list, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a lot of fun. It's, it's the fastest set I've, I've ever played. Every song is just one. You know, it's like, wow. It's like by the time I, I get to mental health, it's like, is this over? I can't believe it. <laughs> you know? Hey, I saw you guys back in 2000 when you reunited with the classic lineup for the Guilty Pleasures mm-hmm. album. Extremely yeah. underrated album, by the way. I love that. Oh, yeah, one. yeah, yeah. Yeah, Guilty Pleasures was so good. Yeah. I had third row, and yeah. I had on a Randy Rhodes t-shirt, and you gave oh. me a big thumbs up. And I was <laughs> yeah. only 20 years old, man. It meant the world to me. I appreciate that. Yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah, Kevin Dubrow gave me a thumbs up also for that. Yeah, awesome. So a, awesome. Awesome. But, uh, awesome. got to meet you guys that night also. You guys did a meet and greet right after awesome. the sets back then. And uh, it was it was a good time and definitely yeah. good memories. Yeah. So. Awesome. Thank you so but, much for your support. Thank you. No, yeah. Thank you, man. Absolutely. We'll okay. see you on tour for okay. sure, Rudy. Okay. Stay yeah. healthy. You, guys, you too. God Stay healthy, bless. sir. Take right. care. God Thanks, bless Rudy. you. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas. Awesome. 
And okay, we perfect. we do edit the show, Rudy. So if at any moment you need to take a break to put it on charge, like we can cut all that out, no problem. That's all right. I always have my depends on when I do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need to do that every time. I have to cut them off in about thirty minutes and go. I got to use the bathroom. <laughs> awesome. That's With all the birthdays Dan's been having, he definitely needs to do yeah, that. We give him a hard yeah. time for being the statesman of the group. So. 